listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast, where we talk all things pregnancy, children, and parenting. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV 2 News podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health. Welcome to the Baby Your Baby podcast. I'm Holly Menino. Today, we're heading up to Intermountain Primary Children's Hospital to talk with Dr. Aaron Hynek, a pediatric anesthesiologist. From inside the operating room, here's our conversation about anesthesia for kids and what parents need to know. Okay. So, Aaron, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for talking to us and taking us into an operating room. Sure. Tell me, what do parents need to know about anesthesia if they're going to have their child go under anesthesia? What are some key things for them to know? I think some of the most important things to know is that anesthesia is really very safe. Um, there's been a lot of research and into anesthesia and specifically to pediatric cases and that when they come to primary children's they're getting an anesthesiologist that's trained in pediatric anesthesia specifically. We take care of these children all the time. We know kind of the nuances of pediatric anesthesia and we you know, are well-versed in the literature as far as what's happening in pediatric anesthesia, the changes that are happening, and we really focus on taking the safest care of their child um, in our operating room, and we really focus on that. I think there are many things to know just as far as anticipating the experience of coming to primary children's, um, kind of how to, we, we can go through a lot of the things that we do here to alleviate fear in the pediatric patient and kind of also help the parent feel safe leaving their child with us to, you know, we're virtually strangers to them and we want them to feel safe, you know, giving their child to us to take care of. Some of those things, when they come to the hospital, we do a lot of preoperative things that will help the child feel less anxious. We offer a, a, what's called a POPs class, which stands for you know, preoperative preparedness. And those kids can come prior to their surgery on an evening or an afternoon, and they get walked through the process. They get to come to pre-op, and they see what those rooms are like. They get to talk to a child life specialist and kind of learn what's going to happen. They walk down the hall. They see post-op. They see where they're going to be waking up after surgery. And they really go through the entire process with them so that they can kind of, they, we, leave, we you know, take away the unknown. And, so, and I think that leads to a lot of fear and anxiety is just the unknown. So by taking away that, I think we make them feel a lot more comfortable. So parents should know that that's offered to them. Um, if, you know, if that would make their child feel more comfortable, they can, they can do that. They should know about child life so that they, if they have a child that is really particularly anxious and nervous, Or, for instance, a child that has to come to the hospital multiple times, sometimes that creates some anxiety because they're here a lot. Um, So they'll know about those child life specialists that can come to see them pre-op, that can play with their child, that can, you know, show them photographs of the operating room and their anesthesiologist and show them the tools that we're going to use, let them play with those things so that, again, it's not unknown and they know what's going to happen prior to leaving their parent or prior to coming to the operating room. What are some other things that parents can do to get their kids ready? I like what you mentioned about taking the tour and kind of going through a mock process about what's going to happen and and about child life stepping in. But what are some things that parents need to know? I mean, when we had our daughter here just a couple weeks ago, 
you know, I didn't realize that I, I had hoped an anesthesiologist would be with her the whole time, but you guys never leave them, that you are there the entire time. Right. So yeah, I think that's important for the parent to tell the child that there is someone that is their person during surgery and that person is going to be with them and take care of them and kind of treat them like they're their own child, that they're going to keep them safe um, and be with them that whole time and take care of them. I think that, that it's good for parents to know what's going to happen in that process so that they can also maybe alleviate some fears. Most of our children that are small in size don't need to have an IV prior to going to sleep. Um, in pediatrics, the majority of patients are induced with anesthesia with a mask, and so they have an inhalational anesthetic rather than an IV anesthetic, so they don't need an IV prior to going to sleep. And we make the mask smell like something good. They can choose a flavor, so they can make their mask smell like strawberry or root beer. And that helps a lot of kids feel like this is kind of a more fun process, and it takes away the fear of needing a poke or having something painful prior to going to sleep. Um, so I think parents should know that. Um, and then they should know that, you know, we really are focused on their child. And I think they can, you know, relay that to the child, that we're going to try to do everything we can to make them have very good pain control. We're going to try to do everything we can to decrease the risk of anesthesia, things like nausea, things like vomiting or pain afterwards, that we really are focused on that and we want to do everything we can to make them have a positive experience. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I didn't know about anesthesia, especially with my daughter, that she would have a mask first and then would have an IV. Right. And that, so we want to make sure parents understand that, that that's, right. what, that's what happens. There's another thing called conscious sedation, mm -hmm. which we learned about that when she had the MRI. Sure. Talk a little bit about that. So there's a difference between sedation and general anesthesia. Both use sedating medications that affect the central nervous system. Um, in conscious sedation, it is not as profound. You know, in general anesthesia, you're going to get a loss of consciousness. You're going to get analgesia, which is pain control, and potentially you're going to get some uh, muscle relaxation, but the overall thing is that there is a total loss of consciousness. In sedation, they're going to get some of the same anesthetic medications, but in a lesser dose um, that's going to lead, lead to anxiolysis or decreasing anxiety. It can cause some memory loss, which is usually a positive thing because we don't want kids to necessarily remember having a procedure. Um, but they're still breathing on their own. We haven't taken that over. They, they're still able to move. They're, they're usually getting some pain control and some anxiolysis, but it's not a total, you know, a total, it's not going to sleep. It's not a complete general anesthetic. Take us through some of the steps um, for those people that don't know. When a child comes into the hospital and they're going to go under general anesthesia, when do you start stepping in and what does that look like for people that don't know? So when a child comes to the hospital, they're going to come in through our registration process. They're going to go to pre-op, which is a large area with individual private rooms. They're going to be seen in pre-op by a nurse, by a tech who checks them in, gets their weight and their height and a set of vital signs. A nurse will see them 
and kind of go through their overall health history, um, make sure that they're appropriately NPO because we do require fasting before surgery. They're going to um, just check on how they're doing and then the nurse practitioner, a sedation nurse practitioner will see them and also go through a history and explain part of the process of anesthesia. And that's where if the child is significantly anxious, they may see child life in that area. And they may sometimes get some sedative there if we feel like they really aren't going to do well with coming back to the operating room or separating with their parent. They may require some preoperative sedation before. Erin, we did do a little sedative yeah. for Eva just an because oral we, an oral, yes, yeah. oral because mm -hmm. we she was pretty worked up and we yeah. didn't want her to necessarily remember and have a right. negative memory about what was happening. Right. Yeah. And she has no recollection now at all. Right. Right. And so that happens there. And then we will also meet, then we'll meet you. The anesthesiologist will meet you and the surgeon will check in with you and, and see you again in that preoperative area before we go back to the operating room. And we'll do a physical exam and just make sure we answer all your questions about anesthesia um, prior to leaving that area. Okay, then after yeah. that. And then after that, we are gonna take your child. Generally here, we don't bring the parent back to the operating room. In some institutions, that happens more frequently, and we call that a parent-present induction. We do that more downstairs in our short procedure area because it's not sterile. We feel like here it's better to keep the operating room sterile, and so we leave the parent at the door to the operating room. We bring the child back, and that can look like anything like your child that did have some sedation on board and her anesthesiologist just carried her back. It can be some of the children ride cars back to the ah, operating room. Fun. We have some remote control things mm -hmm. they ride. They can go in a wheelchair. They can choose their car if they're obviously like toddler age. A bigger child usually just walks back with us. Um, there's a lot of things we do to try to alleviate fear going back. We may be singing to them. We may be making animal noises. We may be playing an iPad, you know, doing different things. Child life sometimes comes back to the operating room with us. And they're fantastic. They are super helpful. And a lot of times, they really take the place of that preoperative medication to sedate the child because they get to know the child prior to coming back. And then they're really helpful because they're staying with someone that they've met before and they've established a relationship before coming back to the operating room. Yeah. You're making it fun, though. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, you're our making best. it fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when you get back here, what happens? When, when you're in this room and you're with the little one or, or maybe a, an older child? Too. Yeah, so we come back into the operating room Room. We announce, you know, the child's name so that we know that we have the right child in here for the right procedure. We come in, we lay them on the bed. If they're an older child, they lay on the bed. If it's a younger child, they often stay sitting up. They stay in a position that they are comfortable in because sometimes children don't like to lay down. They feel like that's kind of a loss of power, I think, you know, and they, they want to stay sitting up. Or if it's a baby or a toddler, if they're comfortable being held, sometimes I'll just hold that child and put the mask on the child while they're still in my arms. Um, so, but we try to get the mask on. If it's, if it's an inhalational induction, we get the mask on very quickly. Because um, the longer they're here and there's a lot of things going on and a lot of things to see, we feel like that maybe increases anxiety. So we come into the room, we place the mask if it's an inhalational induction, and then the nurses get monitors on the patient while that mask is on, and the child will go to sleep in a relatively fast fashion. It's, it's not a slow process. Um, but they maybe get a, get a little laughing gas first, and then we turn on our, our, our inhalational agent. They go to sleep usually in a minute or two. The monitors are then on, and then typically our nurses place the IV as soon as as soon as the patient is calm and asleep. They'll place an IV, 
Um, obviously, if there's difficulty doing that, then your anesthesiologist may place the IV. But then the IV's placed and we get underway. What are you watching when the, a procedure, what, regardless of whatever surgery, what are you watching as the anesthesiologist when the child so is under anesthesia? Mostly I'm watching the child, you know, and obviously once a surgical procedure gets done, the child is oftentimes covered up, it, you know, if the drapes are on. But during induction of anesthesia, I'm watching the child, I'm watching their chest, I'm watching to make sure that I'm getting chest rise, that I'm ventilating and oxygenating that child very well. And then I'm watching my monitors, which are back here. So as soon as we get the child comfortable and induced, then I'm gonna see their blood pressure, I'm gonna see their EKG or their heart rhythm. Um, I'll see their pulse oximetry, which is their oxygen saturation in the blood. And then, and I can see my depth of anesthesia. I can see what I'm delivering. Um, so those are the main things that I'm focusing on during induction. And then obviously different cases are very different. You know, a very small procedure may not entail an IV. I may just be with the child with a mask. We may not put an IV in if it's a really short procedure that doesn't require that. Um, and some of our larger procedures are gonna require an intubation. So we're gonna place a breathing tube in the child's trachea. And for most procedures that is required because we wanna make sure that the lungs are protected, that there is no chance that something can come up from the stomach or come down from the mouth and get into the lungs. We wanna make sure their lungs are totally protected. And it's also just a very safe pathway to make sure that we are adequately delivering oxygen, that we're delivering anesthesia throughout the procedure and we're monitoring the exhaled CO2, which is a good monitor showing that you are adequately ventilating um, a child. And then some surgeries are, are very large and we, we require much more in-depth monitoring. So we may be placing central lines or arterial lines, um, doing different things for to keep a tighter eye on the patient and to know what's going on from a physiologic standpoint um, throughout a long case that will help us guide in resuscitation, help us guide in potentially giving blood or needing other medications to support blood pressure um, during you, a big case. You mentioned big cases in the 12-hour surgeries. When, when you are in one of those, do you stay the entire time? Do you switch off? Or are you on, in for the so long haul with those? Depends. Sometimes we do turn the case over to one of our colleagues. Um, and. Definitely someone will come, one of our colleagues will come and give us a break for lunch or maybe to go to the restroom. Um, typically we try to stay in our own cases that, and we are, they're scheduled in a way that the call people um, start those long cases in anticipation of finishing those long cases. But there is the, a situation where sometimes we will turn it over to one of our colleagues, one of our partners. So once that procedure is done, your job is not quite over yet. What do no. you do at the end? In fact, I think the end is just as important as the beginning because we need to emerge the child or the patient. We wanna make sure that they safely come out of anesthesia. Um, typically the anesthetic is turned off, but we, we watch again, we've gotta make sure that they're breathing appropriately, ventilating appropriately. We will extubate, so we're gonna take that breathing tube out once they're awake, and there are different ways to do that. Sometimes the breathing tube comes out while the patient is still deeply anesthetized, and there, and there are reasons for that, depending on their, um, you know, their baseline health status. Um, and not, but we're overall, you know, so we've got to have a return to normal breathing and normal ventilation. We need to ensure that they've got good pain control, so that's happening throughout the case, but also at the end. Uh, we want to make sure that they wake up 
hopefully without nausea, hopefully without some degree of delirium, or we call that emergence delirium that can happen um, after anesthesia. So we're really, the, the end of the procedure is, I would say, equally as important as the beginning. It really is. It yeah. sets off how they're going to wake up after yeah. being under for mm -hmm. that amount, whatever amount of time yeah. they're under for. Right. Okay, yeah. so after after that, though. So after that, we're going to travel with them to the recovery room or the PACU, the post-anesthesia care unit. And we're going to get a set of vital signs there. We're going to talk to the nurse and give report to the nurse in the PACU. And sometimes we don't go to the PACU. Sometimes we'll take a patient to the ICU. If it's after a big procedure, we're going to go straight to the ICU and give that report to the ICU physicians and the ICU team. But we're going to, so we get vital signs, we make sure the patient is comfortable, um, that vital signs are stable, and, um, and then we're going to pass that report to that nurse. And if the patient is stable and okay, we're going to leave them with that nurse, and typically we'll go and meet our next patient. Okay. Anything else parents need to do? I feel like we talked a lot about how to get kids prepared. Mm -hmm especially with the tour before, but anything else parents should know? I mean, I think we've definitely covered some good topics in terms of the fact you're with them the whole entire time with their child. Right, yeah. What about um, talking about a procedure yeah. before? Yeah. And, and sharing some of those and just being positive. Yeah. And I think it's appropriate. I think it's better to talk to your child about what's going to happen, make sure that they're aware of what's going to happen, that they're coming to the hospital. Very occasionally we have someone come and they say they don't know they're having this procedure. The parent will say, we don't know, they don't know they're having this procedure. And I don't think that's the best thing because I think it's kind of a surprise tactic and and I think the kids can be a little caught off guard by that and then scared, you know, when they do get here. So I think it's better to prepare your child and know that they saw their surgeon before, you know, tell them some of these things that, you know, they're going to come to the hospital, that someone's going to be taking very good care of them. We're going to do things to try to alleviate fear and anxiety, and we're going to do everything we can to make that experience, you know, as best we can for them, when it is kind of a scary experience for a young child. Um, one one question that I, I'm just thinking about right now, I mean, most of your cases, all, the outcome is good. What happens when you're in a situation in the operating room and things do not go how you plan, how you anticipated? How do you react as an anesthesiologist? Well, as an anesthesiologist, our job is to stay very calm. It's not going to help us to be, you know, I guess emotional or upset or scared. I mean, we are used to taking care of those situations and we anticipate them. We try to anticipate those situations in certain cases with certain patients and so that we know what we're going to do when they happen. And so if they happen, we, we stay calm, we get help, we talk to our surgeon. It's very important to talk to the surgeon because you are a team in taking care of that patient and what you need to do for the patient may involve something the surgeon needs to do as well or not do. Um, and we, you know, we keep the parents in the loop. If something happens that we didn't expect, we'll call and update the parents. If there's any kind of decision making, we're going to involve the parents um, in that decision. But most of all, we focus on the patient, and we're very vigilant in anticipating any kind of problem that is going to happen. And that's why we're there the whole time. We don't want to know you know, three minutes into a problem. We want to be watching the surgery. We want to be watching that patient, watch, watching the monitors. So we can anticipate before, um, you know, there's a larger problem and try to intervene before. But, you know, inevitably surgery and anesthesia involve um, or have complications together. And so we try to be on top of those things and anticipate them before they happen.
And, I mean, nine years of schooling to get to this point, you're a pediatric anesthesiologist. I mean, I'm... You nine love years kids. after college. Nine so years 13. after. So 13 total. <laughs> yeah, 13 total. Yeah. total. Yeah. But, I mean, you have a love for children. You do. You know? Yeah. And, it, and that's why we chose pediatrics. We really enjoy taking care of children. And part of that involves also taking care of families. You know, we want to deal with the medical aspect of taking care of children, but also kind of dealing with this, their social needs and the family social needs as well and making the whole experience positive for them. Okay, Erin, that sounds great. Thank you. I think Thank we got you. everything. Okay. Thanks for joining us for this week's Baby Your Baby podcast. If you have a topic you would like our Baby Your Baby experts to discuss, leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV 2 News podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health.